the show is here. Yo, our mission is clear. It's time to change healthcare. Have no fear. Today is the day. This is the hour. Together, you know we've got the power. Drop the silos. We're all the same team. Experience, business, tech, and marketing. How can anyone be satisfied with the way things have always been? Yeah, we tried. So join us now. Join the revolution. Consumer first health is the evolution. Status quo, more like status. No. Yeah, this is the healthcare rep. Y'all, come on, let's go. New choices, new platforms, new care models. In the healthcare of tomorrow, consumers win. But who will design it? What will it look like? And how long will it take? We're here to answer those questions with some provocative thinking about how to create the healthcare that people actually want. Ready to roll up your sleeves, look at the world a little differently, and explore the frontiers of consumer health together? Join us. This is the Healthcare Wrap. Welcome back. I'm Jared Johnson from Shift Forward Health, and here's what's going to go down today. We have the flavor of the week about the value systems underlying care. What can we learn from the free market medical association and other micro revolutions that are daring to improve the experience for patients and providers? I'll talk about that. Then Zane and I are honored to welcome Bob Riney, CEO of Henry Ford Health. In this exclusive interview, Bob shares a compelling vision for providing quality care amidst a challenging landscape, including how Henry Ford is playing a leading role in revitalizing communities in and around downtown Detroit and what has to happen for the hospital-centric business model to remain sustainable. There's a lot to get into, so it's time to dive right in. Are you ready? Let's go. Flavor of the Week. Imagine what's possible if providers have a way to take back control and let the free market dictate the terms in which their services are offered. Consider this. Today, we hear a lot about the rising costs of healthcare and the growing dissatisfaction of the value provided by the healthcare system from both patients and providers. Some providers have successfully taken back control and dramatically improved both their patient satisfaction and their personal job satisfaction by providing care more directly. There's an association called the Free Market Medical Association, or FMMA, whose mission is to bring buyers and sellers of healthcare together so they can agree upon the value system. I bring this up to show you that there are many movements happening everywhere in the industry that piece by piece are guiding us to a better place. Denise Wiseman of the PX community refers to these as micro revolutions, and I kind of love that. We speak frequently about things like direct primary care, full risk contracting, and health at home, all things that more closely align incentives for patients and providers, not just to deliver a higher volume of sick care, but to prioritize wellness and prevention. Some of these micro revolutions like the FMMA are attempting to remove the middlemen and reduce at least some of the layers of bureaucracy so that patients and providers have a better experience. I don't know any clinicians who enjoy charting or clicking through their EHR or engaging in other administrative tasks, but those tasks exist because somewhere up the road, entities or entire industries developed value systems to extract a profit by adding complexity to the system. Thankfully, I see a path forward that doesn't add anything more to what we're already dealing with. The future is simplifying. I say again, the ones that will be left standing years from now, we'll find ways to extract even more value by reducing complexity. So as we keep a close eye on retailers, payviders, digital health startups, and anyone else who's challenging the status quo, how will the value system shift to accommodate new models of care and who or what will dictate those shifts? Will everything still come down to payer contracts or will the free market be allowed to play a bigger role? As we look at how healthcare will be delivered and experienced in the future, can we create more space to prioritize partnerships, disrupt existing business models, and more directly address consumers' needs?
needs and desires? Without a disruptor's mindset, we can only make so much progress in meeting those needs. Let's reimagine the value systems at the foundation of care and recenter them around consumers' wants and needs. That's another way that we'll build the healthcare of tomorrow. And that's the flavor of the week. All right, everyone, let's get into the flow. We have a very special guest today, so I'm going to turn the reins over to Zane to welcome him in. Hi, everyone. It's so good to be here. And today I have the special privilege interviewing a friend and former big, big boss of mine, so to speak, uh, Robert G. Riney, Bob Riney, the president and CEO of Henry Ford Health System. Bob, welcome to the show. Hi, happy to be here, Zane. Bob is a very, I would say, a very wise leader, very strategic you know, had a wonderful time working with him when I was at Henry Ford. And he comes from a very interesting career path. Our understanding, Bob, you were the chief operating officer for a number of years, the chief human resource officer. And I hear that you actually started your career off as a security guard. Is that true? Well, it's kind of a funny story, but I am celebrating my 45th year with Henry Ford Health. Wow. And I did, yeah, I did start as a teenager when I was a Wayne State University student looking for a place I could walk to work. And uh, the security assignment that I had was to be the guard of the student nurse's dormitory. And I'll just leave it there. Okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, from that, I was actually not planning on going into healthcare, but. I saw an organization that, quite frankly, just checked all my boxes. It was nice, complex. It was uh, mission-oriented, but it was a business. And it had an incredible amount of diversity, even back at that time. Mm. And those all just turned me on. And I thought, this is a place I could lean into and go even deeper with. And then here I am now in the privilege to serve as CEO. That's amazing. That's fantastic. What would you have done, Bob, if you weren't in healthcare? What What was your aspiration? Where were you trying to go? My original thought was that I was going to head into criminal law. Okay. And I was always intrigued by, you know, representing the underdog and making sure that they had a fair place. And actually... As I think about my career in healthcare, that's one of the passions that's continued, and that's helping make sure that the underserved get the same privileges that everyone else does in terms of access to quality and consistent healthcare. I love that. I think that's going to dovetail into a lot of the questions that we have uh, prepared for you today. Um, Bob, maybe before we dive into a little bit more, could you give an overview of Henry Ford Health to our listeners? We have listeners listening in from all over the country, including Canada, but I, I think sometimes people don't fully understand the breadth and depth what you all are doing at Henry Ford Health and the, the size of the enterprise that you're leading. And so if you could take a moment just to sort of explain it, that would be fantastic. So Henry Ford Health has assets throughout the state of Michigan, but most of it is concentrated in Detroit and the metropolitan Detroit area. Our organization is over a hundred years old. It was actually founded by Henry Ford himself. And when he put a shovel in the ground, he said, Detroit doesn't need another hospital. It needs a hotel for sick people. I find that statement made 110 years ago to be quite extraordinary as we continue in the industry to try and meet that goal. We have a combination of large and middle-sized hospitals. We have over 100 ambulatory sites. 
We have a very big digital profile. We own a health insurance company called Health Alliance Plan. And most importantly, we have 33,000 of the best team members that you could ever ask for. That's huge. So what I'm hearing there is that y'all are like an integrated delivery network, similar to like the Kaisers of the world and others. We are very much an integrated delivery system. And we really believe that medicine is a team sport. And yes. coordination of care is what people need and what produces great outcomes. Well, big news coming out of, you know, Henry Ford Health and you know, obviously it impacts me because I actually live still in the, call it the footprint of your campus, but it sounds like y'all are working on big plans, working with the Pistons and others to build a brand new medical campus and really being part of, call it the revival of the city. And so curious if you could share a little bit about what the vision for that is, how it started and, and where, where you see it going. So nothing makes me more excited than to talk about what we are calling destination brand. And we refer to that because our flagship Henry Hospital sits on West Grand Boulevard. But uh, to answer your question, Zane, we are working with unusual partners in a lot of ways, which really excites me to not only transform our campus, but also to transform the community around our campus. And so we're building an all new bed tower, new ERs, new ORs, new procedure rooms. We have a need to modernize a campus that was originated over a hundred years ago. And that also fits with our mission to continue to be a destination place at that particular hospital for complex care that really can't or shouldn't be done at many places. And we've got the clinical excellence to do it. But we're partnering with the Detroit Pistons to build walkways, bike paths, green space, and multi-income housing. So nice. that we can be inviting for all populations at all different levels of means. And then we're partnering with the Michigan State University to build a joint research building that's really going to be focused on population health and figuring out how to eliminate disparities in various communities based on both health access and health outcome. And so these partnerships are, I think, what the industry needs more of. And we're really excited. And it, it'll be one of the biggest investments in the city of Detroit in three or four decades and just wow. really add to the vibrancy of a, of a city that was so important in America's history and now is coming back so uh, strongly. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's amazing. And I, I agree. Partnerships are what the industry needs a lot more of. And I love that y'all are really setting a new standard here that kind of makes me think broadly about the state of the industry right now. We're sitting here almost halfway through 2023. I wonder if you can give us a state of the state from your from your perspective, from a leadership perspective, because that's a pretty groundbreaking project you just described. I mean, need, needless to say, I imagine amid all of the challenges that are out there facing hospital systems right now, it's great to be able to point to something like that and, and use that as a rallying point. But maybe you can give us just a broader yeah, state of the state in terms of what hospital systems are facing right now and you know what, what we're doing about it. Well, first of all, Jared, you couldn't be more correct about the fact that you know the industry has had such turmoil the last few years that people are just desperate for excitement and for hope for the future in the industry. And so this project is a really important rallying cry in that regard. But to talk about the industry itself, it's at a real inflection point 
you know, the burnout that happened from the pandemic of healthcare workers really taught us several things. One is that there's only so much any one group of humans can take and that the price you pay when you face such an unbelievable situation as we did with the COVID pandemic. And secondly, you recognize that public health is something that communities desperately rely on. And unfortunately for many, many markets, the public health system infrastructure wasn't there. And so the health system, the hospitals had to not only serve an unbelievable volume from the uh, from the pandemic, but had to serve as de facto the public health companies as well for communities. And so the industry, as a result of all that change and stress, has had a number of problems. One is that the math doesn't work anymore. Mm. Payments are fixed for the most part as an industry and labor costs because of the severe shortage and the burnout from the pandemic have gone up in many classifications 20 25% in just a couple years' time. But when your revenue is going up 3% and your expense is going up 20 25%, you know, simple math tells you that that just doesn't work. And so that's a real stress point for the industry. And then the other thing that is happening is disruptors to the industry are coming in at a rapid rate. And they're trying to get at just the most lucrative parts of the industry from an economic standpoint. And, you know, if you're a for-profit company, it, uh, it makes sense that that's what you would do. But again, it, that erodes the whole goal of connected team-based care. And it puts patients potentially back in kind of going to various places for care that is not well connected. So we're trying to be that connector. We're trying to partner with organizations that share our values, but that really want to own maybe a certain aspect of the continuum, but understand the need for connectivity. We're okay with that. And we're trying to partner with companies that really value our obligation to put health over treatment. And right now we're still an industry that focuses on treating someone after they are facing something severe. We need to really work on the health status and helping people lead healthier lives. So, you know, if we can work with companies that share those values, I don't think that we can or should do everything alone anymore, but it's mm. got to be connected in a very significant way. I think a lot of the industry is kind of uh, deer in headlights right now. Sure. Um, and it's real challenging. It, it helps us because we have a health plan. We have a huge ambulatory footprint. So we're not just a hospital only health system. So we see that and we have the assets to help move this forward. Bob loved what you, you know, you mentioned there, you know, the big thing I heard and what you said is like connection, being connected internally, being connected with partners, being kept connected with the community. And, you know, certainly from our vantage point, you know, here on the podcast, we spend a lot of time talking about digital health, digital transformation. And so curious, Bob, how are you all thinking about, I would imagine one of the solves to everything you're talking about is technology. How are you all thinking about uh, deploying novel use cases of consumer-focused tech to help connect the organization to the community, to patients, and within itself? Yeah, it's the question of the of the era. Sure. It really is. And there's an arms race to adopt both AI and digital solutions. And one of the things that we're going to have to do as an industry, quite frankly, is try 
and spread if it works and fail fast if it doesn't, mm. because not everything's going to work. Right. But we have to move forward and really find a way to create ultimately a very connected success. So in the artificial intelligence side, I see that as really helping us with the complex issues inside our hospitals that potentially give physicians and clinical leaders a new set of tools when they're looking at options, when they're looking at strategies for complex care. On the consumer side, I see digital as being a way to transfer care from a clinic to care anywhere. Care can be delivered, quite frankly, through your watch while you're in your car or in your office or at your home. And right now we're using virtual connectivity for appointments, but that's the tip of the iceberg. We're soon gonna have a series of diagnostic tools. The other thing that I know is gonna happen as a result of digital solutions is the health system will become more efficient. Most yeah. people don't realize that there are a lot of no-shows and cancellations in healthcare because people at the last minute just don't feel well enough to go to the clinic or to go to the doctor's office or just life gets in the way. What we have found with virtual visits is those no-shows or cancellations almost completely go away. So the care is not delayed as a result of that and the assessment of the physician is not delayed as a result of that. And then last but not least is access. Access has been a real challenge in the industry. And while we're better than many, we still know that access for appointments is really tough. And let's just look at what's happened in the area of behavioral health. Behavioral health is so in demand because of the soaring need related to mental illness, which also in part is a byproduct of coming through the pandemic. Sure. Virtual visits in behavioral health have been a game changer. People don't have to go through the stigma of going to a behavioral health clinic. They don't have to go through just all the stress of, in some cases, leaving their environment where they feel comfortable and going to one where they don't. And so the frequency of visits, the continuity of care, and the lack of cancellations all just make for a more enriching um, experience. So you can hear my passion about this. Yes. I think there's going to be a lot of things. Let me just make one comment, though. This will never replace the need for the most human touch. This nice. is a supplement. Healthcare is a intimately human experience, and we have no plans on changing that. But this will augment and support it in a way that's a win-win. Stay tuned for more provocative thinking after the break. Consumer demands, disruptive technologies, and AI are shaping healthcare for years to come. On the Hello Healthcare podcast, we dive deep on these issues with leaders who are driving change. These stories will inspire you to create and demand a better future in healthcare. Learn more at hellohealthcare.com. And now back to the show. I think that's spot on with, you know, what we see with what I do in my day job. Curious, Bob, you mentioned artificial intelligence, and I'm sure you've heard about chat GPT. Are you using that tool personally in your life or have you experimented with it? Yeah, I am not using the tool right now. And it's not because I'm opposed. I just haven't had a chance to slow down and uh, and uh, 
you know, sure. and take on one one more thing. But I do think that you know, artificial intelligence is going to add a lot of value. Like anything that's advanced or new, there's risks that come with it. There's risks of data security. There's risks of privacy, and there's risks of artificial intelligence being used for less than uh, holistic purposes. But I think you know we have to find the guardrails, find the right set of regulations, not over-regulate, but not under-regulate. But we've got to find a way to keep this in a safe space because the value it'll bring at the end of the day is just going to be too significant to not want to adopt it. Totally agree. I want to ask about, you mentioned in your last answer there, you're talking about you know, one of the keys to success around digital is going to be to pilot or test things, fail fast, more or less, you know, innovate in that way. Typically, we see and we don't find that institutions like, you know, big hospital systems are always great at that. So curious if you have any thoughts around, you know, how can hospital leaders get comfortable with failing fast, trying things in small batches, making decisions and moving forward? What would your advice be to them? Well, it's going to sound simple, but tell them, okay. tell them it's okay. I mean, healthcare has been horrible at failing fast and, you know, Partly, there's just a lot of ego, you know, that gets involved of not wanting to admit that something that you recommended or supported isn't doing everything that you had hoped it would. And so we've got to change that psychology, and we have. So, you know, we actually make sure that we're celebrating not just the development of a pilot, but the sunsetting of a pilot if it's not working, because we want to reward the fact that we made a very good decision based on data. And now we're making an equally good decision based on data to pivot, you know, and just sort of letting people know that that is the nature and the evolution of technology. And the other thing that we're looking to make sure uh, helps in this matter is put a multidisciplinary team of unusual suspects together to make the decisions, you know, because you can't see the whole picture when you're inside the frame. And so if you have people that are not directly involved with the project, but have knowledge, have them sit at the table and play a role and be part of that decision making. And those things have really changed the culture for us in this regard. Love that. And, you know, I love what you talked about earlier about, you know, it's okay to make decisions to cancel things or simplify things. I know there's a lot of research out there. You're probably familiar with it, familiar with it, Bob, where, you know, folks have this tendency to believe that to innovate or to transform and be rewarded for that, we need to add. But there's equal equal value should be placed on reducing and simplifying things, but people don't always get the credit for that. And so glad to hear you're setting up the culture uh, to reward folks that simplify, make things easy, cancel things that shouldn't be shouldn't be happening. I've shared with our team on more than one occasion that I think healthcare for a long time forgot the delete button on a keyboard. Yeah. <laughs> Meaning that, you know, we would find new solutions, but we wouldn't eliminate the old solution and added to complexity and bureaucracy. And so, you know, just as a rule of thumb, I always encourage people when you're bringing me a new proposal, a new something, bring me two things that are 
options for sunsetting. Love that. It sends a message to people and it frees them to think differently. Love that. And I think it dovetails into my next question. Wanted to ask, Bob, a lot of folks that listen in uh, to the Healthcare Wrap podcast, some of them, a lot of them come from professional services, consulting, digital health consulting. Others are in the solution company space. So dare I say the word vendors, you know, trying to sell digital health solutions to health systems and frankly would love to, you know, pitch to people like you. And so curious, what would your advice be to them? Like, what are the things that they need to show or demonstrate or say to you or one of your leaders that you work directly with to really get their attention to say, wow, whatever you're proposing is something we want to look at. What would your advice be to them? My advice to them would be to be authentic and stop the bullshit. And what I mean by that is, you know, don't come in like, you know, a salesman and not disclose the struggles or the things that haven't worked. I'm going to have a lot more respect and confidence in you if you talk about failed assignments or failed products and what you learn from them. And so when someone comes in and all it is is upside and they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, I just turn off because I discounted them from an integrity standpoint. So talk to me about your learnings. Talk to me about how you're going to partner. Talk to me about how you understand that there's uniqueness and nuance in organizations that need to be considered as it relates to your product fitting in. Don't just come and tell me that it's the solution. So that's my advice is, you know, keep it real and get off the sales game. I don't think we've ever seen that before, Jared. Have we people on their sales game all the time? I'm just kidding. (laughs) That's why you asked, huh? Yeah. Yeah, for real. Well, I love that personally because we've all seen it and we see it a lot. So I, I love just the the advice there. And it kind of relates to us when Zane was just mentioned consumer-oriented tech. I love that you said like that's the question of the ages right now. It is what a lot of people are asking. And part of that is just the fact that I think in you know, in my experience and observations at least, that we're talking about at the end of the day, designing a better experience for consumers, for patients that doesn't make anything harder for clinicians or administrators. You know, it doesn't have to be one versus the other. And that's this whole skill set that we're learning is kind of outside the DNA of a lot of healthcare organizations. So we're starting to learn, but that does take some new skills and core competencies, I feel like. What what do you think it takes? Like what kind of skills does it take to get better at designing that type of experience? You no, know, I think that one of the things um, that we have to really work on is helping people redesign their job when we've implemented new technologies so they feel good about the new aspects of their job as opposed to threatened by the elimination of some things that they've done. You know, because human beings are all, to some extent, adverse to change and also worry about what's in it for me. And it's a very, you know, human thing to worry about. And so giving you a quick example, um, You know, we develop the technology in our organization. So now when I go online and make a patient appointment for myself, I can also pre-register and pay the copay, go through my pharmaceutical reconciliation, update all my profile information so that when I go actually see the physician, there's not a waste of time of that stuff. We're getting into a quality discussion about what I really need. But what I found For the first several months when this technology was implemented and working well, 
is I would show up at a clinic and I would still get asked exactly the same thing by the medical assistant or the clinic uh, receptionist. And after a couple of times, I finally came back to the team and said, we haven't completed the continuum. We haven't helped the individuals redesign their roles so that they are excited about the things that they now have time to focus on as opposed to feeling like, well, this is what I know and this is what I'm supposed to do. And so it's actually worse if you introduce technology and then it's repeated with a traditional method as well. And so I think that's a perfect example of the change management cycle that we just have to work through. Any thoughts? Can I put you on the spot here? Are there any thoughts on how to structure that within an organization? Does somebody own consumer strategy or consumer insights? Does it land on its own or does it report up through somewhere? Is there somewhere that just kind of makes more sense? Yeah, that's a great question, Jared. And we have our head of communication, public relations and marketing, a woman by the name of Heather Geisler, who also has our consumer experience. And she is working on our front door kind of experience and digital solutions with a whole host of other leaders across the system. But we particularly gave her that assignment because she came to us from the Hyatt Regency. And so she didn't come from a traditional healthcare system. She came from a hospitality national, international company that, you know, they everything was around those processes and those consumer-facing experiences in terms of whether you choose that chain or another chain. And so sometimes back to my comment about unusual suspects, you also have to bring leaders in that just bring a different view, but know how to partner with all of the existing leaders really well. Very nice. Well, let me pivot here a little bit here as we start to wind down here, Bob. Uh, Again, we just thank you so much for your time here. But I would be remiss if I didn't ask a couple of things as a lot of our listeners, almost everyone, quite frankly, is interested in how people, their philosophies about careers and leadership. So I wonder what you consider your best advice, your best guidance for careers and leadership development. And this could be clinical or non-clinical. I feel like a lot of those things are still the same. And sometimes we end up saying the same things in silos. So what's that best guidance you like to share? You know, one of the things I tell people all the time is you have to have an innate sense of curiosity to wake up every day curious and anticipating that you're going to be intellectually challenged or learn something that you haven't. And that takes having your ego in balance and not drinking your own Kool-Aid too much on your journey up, surrounding yourself with people that really bring diverse views and opinions to the table and know that you welcome them at the table. They can't just sit there They have to know that they are full participants and you're going to support their opinions, even if they challenge your own. I also tell people to be, you know, yourself. I tell people that this notion that people have been told of never let them see a sweat is just one of the worst pieces of advice I've ever seen laid out on people because that implies that you have to just be perfect and you have to always give this image that you have it all together. Well, that's just not true of any of us, right? So be authentic. You're going to do your best work if you're authentic. And that means if you screw up, own it, move on. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, you got to play the long game, not the short game on a career journey. And my last comment would be, 
you've got to learn to balance working hard and playing hard. And it is easy to say, but a really difficult balance to do. But, you know, the burnout factor as you go through a career journey is very real if you're not purposeful, if you're not intentional about making sure that you're reloading, you know, with laughter, with love. You know, I've watched clinical leaders in particular sort of pretend that they didn't need that in their journeys. And then unfortunately, you know, kind of limit themselves. So those would be some of the initial uh, comments I would make. Anything else, Bob, as we're sort of getting ready to close here, anything else that you'd love to share with our more digitally focused audience that we haven't covered yet or that you just feel like you want to say or any breaking news announcements that you want to share on the podcast? The floor is yours. No, no breaking news. Uh, but, uh, but I will tell you that, you know, as I think all of your listeners know, the good news is that there are literally thousands of companies that are working on AI healthcare related issues, digital healthcare related issues. We all have to accept that we ultimately need tools that can be spread and scale. So the reality is, 95% of that thousand companies are going to have some impact, but ultimately have to be integrated into an approach or a company that can scale for the industry's sake. And I think that that's going to be really important knowledge as we all try and figure this out, because at the end of the day, we can't be a cottage industry that's got thousands of fragmented pieces of technology, because that is going to add to the likelihood of mistakes being made for consumers and patients. And they are who have entrusted us. Yep. I mean, I would say mistakes and just, you know, fragmentation in the experience of care, you know, with different interfaces, different ways of doing things. So totally hear you on that one. Well, Bob, I can't let you go without giving you the final, final word on something because this is kind of unique for us. Zane here was one of your former employees. So I have to ask if there's anything about him that we should know that he probably hasn't told our community yet. Well, you know what, Jared? My real answer would require that I knew that only adults 18 and over were listening to this. uh, Oh my goodness. (laughs) Just to get him really embarrassed. But the thing that I will actually tell you in all seriousness is Zane posts pictures all the time that give me the impression that he is a chef extraordinaire. (laughs) He's a grill master. He's always doing all this amazing bread baking and dishes. And in spite of all that and that he worked for me and in spite of me teasing several times at one time, I would like to be invited over to have that. I have not one time received an invitation. So either either those cooking demonstrations are all with fake food and he's really not good at it, or he's got to prove his skills. Oh my goodness. Well, I will reach out to your boss and see if we can get on your calendar. You can come over for dinner. (laughs) (laughs) That was so worth asking. And what a perfect place for us to wrap up here, Bob. We want to thank you so much. We've had the pleasure of speaking with Bob Reine from Henry Ford Health. You've given us so much to think about. Thanks so much for joining us Thank you, Bob. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, please spread the word. Tell your colleagues to tune in for all the awesomeness, then leave a review on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. This show is produced by Shift Forward Health, the channel for changemakers. Subscribe to Shift Forward Health on your favorite podcast app, and you'll be subscribed to our entire library of shows. See our full lineup at shiftforwardhealth.com. 
one subscription, all the podcasts you need, and it's all for free. And remember, we might have a lot of work to do in healthcare, but we'll get there faster together. Thanks again.